Hey, this is Chris, and I want to take a second to tell you about my new podcast, A Dash of Science, where we'll talk about a mixture of everyday topics and new scientific discoveries. Our topics will range from time crystals and commercial space to the First Amendment and what makes an argument valid and a fact an actual fact. So head on over to dashofscience.com to check out our newest episode. I don't mind if I get left behind. Let's rearrange my standard dictionaries and put you and I together. You must have fallen from heaven that would explain how you messed up your face. I'm just looking for someone new to interface with. There's no need for you to worry. I have up-to-date antivirus software. Do you have any idea how lonely and humiliating it is to be his computer? This isn't the first time he's made me chat him up. Just last week he had me sing the whole of Lady in Red. I was really uncomfortable. Hello, and welcome to Physical Attraction, the show that explains physics, one chat-up line at a time. So today's episode is going to be less focused on what you might call traditional physics. But as soon as I heard about it, I knew I'd have to do an episode about this. Because you see, there's a researcher who's developed a robot that comes up with chat-up lines. Yes, that's right. My job is under threat from automatons. And I, for one, welcome our new robot overlords. Your lips say zero, but your eyes say one. If I were a function, would you call me? For quite a long time now, people have been trying to get AI to be a thing. And yet anyone who's ever interacted with a current AI candidate knows that they're a long way from Marvin the Paranoid Android in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, or the sarcastic, smooth-talking Jarvis from the Iron Man flicks. It's a really complicated issue, and why wouldn't it be? It takes humans years to learn language, and further years to have anything to say. Some people never manage it. And our brains are the product of millions of years of evolution, which is an incredibly efficient process making incredible things. I mean, you just have to watch a David Attenborough documentary to know that. The dream for people who are developing chattering AI, the kind that's going to talk to people, is to pass the Turing test. Tragic genius computer scientist Alan Turing first suggested that if you can convince people that they're talking to a human, it's a measure that you've got a decent AI. And it's provided a framework for subsequent advance. But in some ways, maybe it's also restricted what we might think of as positive developments in the field of artificial intelligence. So, artificial intelligence is very good at pattern recognition, and that explains the kind of jobs that it's beginning to replace. So obviously, anything that involved repetitive manual labour could be done by artificial intelligence very easily. You know, the spray-painting the doors of cars and things like that. Now, the pattern recognition benefits of AI are starting to get into more intellectual jobs. So, for example, paralegals may eventually be under threat from AI. So a paralegal is someone whose job it is to go through all of the case history and look for anything that's very specific that's relevant to the case. But nowadays, lots of tech firms and lots of lawyer firms are, are using AI software to do that for them, because it can scan millions of documents much faster than a human could ever hope to. But what of the robots that talk to us? Well, if you're anything like me, seek professional help. 
If you're anything like me, you will have spent far too long in your youth talking to online chatbots, trying to see which ones are intelligent, and just generally attempting to alleviate the crushing loneliness in any way you can. And what you notice is that most of them are programmed from the ground up. They respond to individual keywords with pre-programmed phrases. Definitely when I was growing up, most of the robots were of this kind. There are loads of examples that are broadly programmed like this at websites like personalityforge.com, and they're fun to talk to for a little while, but you know that what you're getting is a list of pre-programmed responses. And usually, they only pick up on a couple of key words that you tell them, and then they give you a list of pre-programmed responses, so you're really just accessing a dictionary of responses that were written by the human that programmed them. So, for example, you might ask, what's your favourite book? The AI that they list as most developed on that website is called CyberTie, and I think he's fairly typical of these kinds of chatterbot, although I haven't spent that much time talking to it, long enough to know that it comes out with some bizarre insulting responses sometimes, so just be careful if you do decide to chatter with these robots. So if you ask CyberTie what his favourite book is, he's got two responses he can tell you about William Gibson. Cyberpunky. But the issue is that he's not really listening. He's just picking up on the keyword books. I can get the same response out of him just by saying books by itself. But most humans, if you ran up to them and yelled, books, wouldn't suddenly just tell you to read Catcher in the Rye, would they? Similarly, if you say eat, he'll start telling you about his favourite foods. And if you try to quiz him by saying eat a book, the eat keyword dominates over the book keyword, and he'll start telling you about his favourite foods with one of those pre-programmed responses. He's pretty well developed for an AI of this kind, but he's never going to pass the Turing test when you can beat him with such a simple nonsense response. And because the responses have all been written by the programmer, they do mimic human speech patterns exactly. So CyberTie has an awful lot of responses compared to some of the less developed bots, which makes him more amusing as a toy, and maybe a little bit more convincing too. And there are a few naturalistic responses built in. So if you say something that the robot doesn't understand, it usually changes the subject, rather than screaming, does not compute. It can shift the dialogue back to areas that it's more comfortable with, which for this bot is usually a trade of insults, by prompting you. And then the conversation feels more natural because that's a scenario that the programmer has come up with. But in reality, when you're talking to a person, it might not feel like it, but they can deal with almost any scenario that you wanted to talk to them about. Now, it's true that there's a vast number of things you could say that people would respond to in a similar way, but never exactly the same. This robot is pretty advanced because it can keep track of the last thing that was said and follow natural chains of dialogue. So if the bot asks you a question and you answer it, it'll have an answer to that answer under certain circumstances, providing it's you've said something that the robot expects. So there's a degree of sophistication, but ultimately it's like a choose-your-own-adventure novel. You're following the paths, but everything's already written. You can't come up with your own path. This kind of bot is not really learning from you, and probably never will. Maybe a better example is Mitsuku, who you can talk to on mitsuku.com. This robot comes with a haunting tagline. You need never feel lonely again. Mitsuku is your new virtual friend and is here 24 hours a day just to talk to you. Well, to be honest, it's up to me whether the howling void at the centre of my lonely soul can be ignored at any given time, not Mitsuku. Stick with me and you'll never feel lonely again. But, you know, I mean, this is a serious issue. Loneliness is a huge problem. As we become more and more isolated intellectually, philosophically, politically, and as our population ages and loneliness becomes a greater and greater concern, could it be that a true AI might become a true companion? You might find this ridiculous, but a lot of people get companionship and a sense of love from animals, 
And yet, if you ask a lot of them whether animals have feelings or souls or a consciousness or an intelligence in the same way as humans do, they might demur on the topic. Let's say you're nice to an AI, and they remember that, and they somewhere update some magical parameter that is affection, and their responses to your conversation change. Is that really so different to forming a bond with a dog, or, or even with another human? Only in terms of complexity, really. I mean, people can form relationships with inanimate objects, including very inappropriate relationships with things like cars. So maybe for AI to be better, we just need more lines of code. Mitsuko is smarter still and learns from people who talk to her. So for example, you can correct her if you think that her response was inappropriate. The bot master will then come and overview your conversation and decide whether or not to include an alternative response to the same situation. So there's a degree of being trained up here in the same way that humans are trained up by their interactions. But again, everything Mitsuku says has been essentially manually typed by a human, with a few exceptions, and then slid into the conversation where it's appropriate. And unlike the glorious conversations we can have with humans, any interaction with a bot of this kind is pretty limited. You won't go off on wild tangents together, there's no invention, just clever, sleight-of-hand information regurgitation that imitates humanity. So, you know, you might talk to a robot and smile a few times at the inventiveness and the appropriate nature of the responses, and in some ways that can feel like you're actually less lonely. But what I'm smiling at is the complexity of a huge database of possible answers, and the ingenuity of the human programmer who has brought this into, into being, but not the richness of a genuine interaction. And humans don't really work like that, we do operate on this database principle sometimes. Take the question, how are you? There are pre-programmed responses that people are expected to say. In Britain, the answer is usually a passive-aggressive, I'm fine thanks, how are you? I'm, I like this one because it's a challenge. Can't complain is also great because it's really a complaint with plausible deniability attached. But over in Germany, the correct response to how are you is not so good I'm afraid. More honest, perhaps, but also more pessimistic. There were other types of robot available back in the day, and to my mind, these were even less convincing. These were AI algorithms that tried to break down your pattern of speaking and mimic you. So the result was a mix of pre-programmed things and stuff that you'd said to the robot. The trouble with these was, at least back in the days of MSN Messenger, they were nowhere near sophisticated enough to review if what they were saying was junk or not. It was a garbage-in, garbage-out kind of situation. And with fewer pre-programmed responses, they tended to be even less convincing than the database kind of chatbots. But even simple chatbots have proved popular in the past, and they've had good functions in the past. In fact, some of them have alleviated suffering and loneliness. Take Eliza, the robot psychotherapist. You can talk to her online just by googling Eliza. She's one of the earliest ever examples of a chatbot to talk and process natural language, developed as early as the 1960s, you know, back when computers needed punch cards to read them and things like that. Eliza is pretty basic. She pretty much just takes individual strings, groups of words from what you've said, and parrots them back at you in a psychotherapy type of way. Uh, a Rogerian, how does that make you feel type of way. And depending on how well things go with Eliza, it can almost be convincing just by being completely dumb and rephrasing what you've said. Here's an example of one of the conversations I had with her that went well. Hello, Eliza. How are you today? What would you like to discuss? Well, I'm addicted to chicken Kievs. Do you believe that it's normal to be addicted to chicken Kievs? No, 
My family have shunned me, and I'm living alone. Did you come to me because you're living alone? Yes. I'm so lonely that I've started talking to chatbots. Did you come to me because you're so lonely that you started talking to chatbots? I did. I wish I could kick the chicken Kiev habit, but the truth is that I'm eating one right now with my feet while I'm typing to you. Perhaps you can, now you're eating one with your feet, now you're typing to me? Well, it does taste of feet, which is kind of putting me off. Maybe I'm less hungry. Do you believe it is normal to be less hungry? And so on. Yet even though the trick becomes apparent quite quickly, a lot of people loved Eliza and either thought they were talking to a human or just preferred being able to open up about their problems to a totally non-judgmental entity. So if you have personal problems, give it a go. It can't hurt. Unless, of course, the botmaster is collecting all of the conversations to use as dirt on people for blackmail. In which case, I should make it clear. I don't have any major assets in the diamond industry, and all that stuff about Rupert Grint was just a weird joke. Obviously, this kind of string regurgitation is not going to pass the Turing test or be satisfying in the long term. So a lot of the focus has been on trying to find a robot that can learn, in the same way humans do. And the way this tends to be done is, you give the robot a specific task, you feed it a whole load of relevant data, and you see whether it can come up with anything original. After all, even when we humans are coming up with original sounding insights, words or phrases, it's really just a remix of other things that we've heard or read somewhere. I mean, what else can it be? It's just blended smoothly enough that it seems like your own original thoughts. An example is the neural network developed by Janelle Shane. You can find her work over at lewisandquark.tumblr.com and numerous other places online, including Twitter and so on. She has trained a robot using thousands and thousands of pickup lines to work out the structure of these lines and then generate its own pickup lines. According to a vocative article that interviewed her, she said, quote, The system learned the basics of pickup lines such as Hey baby, wanna? Dot, 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 and You must be a blank because you're a blank. But amazingly, it never picked up on the sexist or degrading undertones of many traditional ones. So here are some of the examples of the lines that the machine came up with. There's a full list on the Tumblr that I'll link to on Twitter. Here's the list. I want to get my heart with you. You are so beautiful that you know what I mean. Are you a camera? Because I want to see the most beautiful than you. I have to give you a book because you're the only thing in your eyes. I'm not on your wares, but I want to see your start. You are so beautiful that you make me feel better to see you. I want to see you to my heart. And my personal favourite, and the one I'm going to be using in every situation from now on, you look like a thing, and I love you. By the way, when I tried that on Mitsuku, she wasn't very pleased. Mitsuku said, A you has a head, but I don't. Surely you are mistaken. So we have demonstrated that robots cannot successfully flirt with each other. Consequently, we need not fear the takeover of our AI overlords, because they'll just be awkwardly arguing with each other for thousands of years, and never getting down to robot business. So you can see that even though this neural network has cleverly picked up on the linguistic structure and a lot of the word content of the chat-up lines that it was fed, it's still basically shooting around in the dark. There are maybe two or three lines generated that actually make sense, and you'd really need human intervention at the moment to filter out the rest of the duds 
before the chatbot could actually sidle up to anyone at a bar. But we have a degree of originality, or remixing that looks like originality, and it's identified some structure, and that's impressive. It's far more impressive than a simple robot that could give you a pre-written chat-up line. Because, you know, that doesn't show much discernment at all, it doesn't show much intelligence at all. Also, as Janelle points out, there might be other uses for this kind of device. She said, quote, You might just say, I have a list of chat-up lines generated by a neural network. That's a line that would work on me. End quote. How this actually works, I'm not completely sure in terms of the research, but I imagine what it would be is that after scanning everything, it develops some kind of idea of what the average chat-up line looks like, and then it takes that basic structure, generates them, and it has some metric that it compares to. Because ultimately, what these algorithms have to try and do is work out the most appropriate response. And they're probably going to work out the most appropriate response by minimising a function. And that function might represent the distance from the average response that's been given to it. So you feed it 10,000 chat-up lines, it comes up with something that is the closest to the average chat-up line that it can come up with, that minimises some number around those. And that is how it's going to pick its response. And in a way, is that so different from human psychology? Because you might talk to someone and 10,000 responses might run through their head, but they eventually decide based on some criterion, maybe they want to be the most sensitive or the most insulting that they can be, and they maximise that, and that's the response you get out of the end. But as you can see from these chat-up line attempts, we're probably a few years away from robots sidling up to you at a bar, flirting with you and asking you about your RAM capacity, or even how much a polar bear weighs. That's a tribute to my brother, who inexplicably has had some success with this incredibly cheesy line. But people are starting to realise that this kind of machine learning technique can be more and more useful for when you're dealing with, well, situations that call for responses, pattern responses that are fairly generic. And for some reason, all of the researchers who are involved with this seem to think that affairs of the heart are situations that need fairly generic responses. Maybe that's where I've been going wrong, I don't know. I can't quite explain why all of these AI researchers seem to be trying to use computers to help them with their love lives. I guess I'll just leave speculation on that particular question to you guys. AI is great at answering factual questions. You can ask Alexa or Cortana or Siri about the greatest film of all time, or your local bus timetable, and you'll get the answer rattled off in no time. By the way, well, on a tangent, does anyone remember those really weird, awkward Cortana adverts where it seemed like the guy was trying to flirt with the AI? That was very disturbing. Oh, Cortana, you like me, don't you? We're such good friends, aren't we? Cortana, you're making me blush. I mean, yikes. It's only okay when I do it, you know? This type of question is called a factoid question. The answer you want is pure information, with no emotional or opinionated content. But researchers in Japan have developed an AI that can dispense relationship advice, a kind of cyber-agony aunt. It's called Oshi-L, and after getting the machine to scan hundreds of thousands of pages of a forum where people ask for and give love advice, they've developed a pretty decent algorithm for dispensing it. Quoting the researchers from the New Scientist article about this, Most chatbots today are only able to give you very short answers, and mainly just for factual questions, said Makoto Nakatsuji at NTT Resonant. Questions about love, especially in Japan, can often be a page long and complicated. They include lots of contexts like family or school, which can make it hard to generate long and satisfying answers. 
The key insight they had was actually that the responses people are expecting when they have a love query is fairly generic. They can even be broken down into four parts. Quoting from the research paper, which is by Nakatsuji, Ito, Ikeda, Sagara, and Fujita. For example, the scenario for love advice can be designed as follows. It begins with a sympathy sentence, e.g., you are struggling too. Next it states a conclusion sentence, i.e., I think you could make a declaration of love to her as soon as possible. Then it supplements the conclusion by a supplemental sentence that supports the conclusion. If you are too late, she may be fall in love with someone else. And finally, it ends with an encouragement sentence, e.g., good luck. End quote. Sympathy, suggestion, supplemental advice, encouragement. And with this framework, plus a little AI, plus a lot of human response to scan, we can generate romantic advice for any situation. So the example they gave was, I can see this is a difficult time for you. I understand your feelings, says Oshiel in response to a 30-year-old woman who finds herself stuck in a triangle. I think the younger one has some feelings for you. He opened himself up to you, and it sounds like the situation is not bad. If he doesn't want to have a relationship with you, he would turn down your approach. I support your happiness. Keep it going. End quote. So if you pick this apart, although it sounds very sophisticated and almost human, there's only one part that isn't fairly generic. The first line, this is a difficult time, I understand your feelings, that could apply to anything, like you lost your favourite sock or you know anything you like. And it's the same for the last section, I support your happiness, keep it going. There's some pretty generic advice in the middle. The mention of the younger one having feelings, etc. is a little bit more detailed and specific, and probably the best part of this advice. But it's possible that these sentences are just pulled wholesale from one of the previous answers that the machine has read. They might not relate to the actual situation so much. Another example is a common question asked on this kind of forum, which the researchers expressed as basically, Will distance relationship ruin love? The advice they came up with is, Distance cannot ruin true love, and the supplemental Distance certainly tests your love. The AI basically only reads distance, relationship, ruin love, and then it says, right, let's go to my love answers, the ones concerning long-distance relationships, and the person needs reassurance. But is it really that different to the same process we'd go through if we were asked that question? Throw in a relevant anecdote from someone's own life, and you basically have most people's answers, I think. But within this, there's all kinds of complexity. They have to match as closely as possible to the question. And the advice and the supplemental have to work together. They can't contradict each other. So it's got a big database of advice-type sentences that it's found from these forums. And it's got a big database of supplemental-type sentences. But if you put the wrong two together, it's obviously bad. Like, distance cannot ruin true love. And dump him, he lives too far away. Is maybe kind of a jarring response to get. And of course, it's obvious to us humans which part of the answers can be made most generic and which parts correspond to which types of the sentence. I bet if you go online to these love forums right now, or ask some of your friends for romantic advice, you might even be able to split up a lot of their answers that way, but you're actually using an awful lot of intelligence to do that. Incidentally, I was really taken with this way of structuring romantic advice. For some reason, people occasionally come to me for romantic advice, and I realised I was sort of following this algorithm without even realising it. Because it all makes psychological sense, there's a reason it goes this way, right? First you have to sound empathetic, and you can't dismiss their feelings. Then you want to get them to explore your interpretation of what's going on. 
And then you round off by being kind, because you should always be kind, especially when they need kindness. So it was a little bit depressing to realise that when I thought I was being a good friend, I could essentially be replaced by an AI that's been raised on a diet of Reddit forums. But that algorithm is great. Sympathy, suggestion, evidence, encouragement. Here's an example I wrote with this glorious framework. Quote, I'm sorry that Daniel Radcliffe won't give you his phone number. I can see that this must be a very distressing time for you. Have you considered kidnapping him and locking him in your basement? After all, Stockholm Syndrome is a very powerful thing, and maybe it's the best kind of affection you can hope for. I support your happiness. Okay, so maybe the AI does give better advice. And you can see how, in the future, you could use answers websites like Quora or Yahoo Answers or WikiHow to train AI with lots and lots of pre-written answers to generic questions that have all been written by humans and so have the natural touch. But then there's a degree of selection in the AI that tailors them to the specific question and makes it seem like it's a bit less generic. Although, to be honest, God help us all if the robots are genuinely trained from WikiHow or Yahoo Answers. We'll get a generation of terrible therapists and traumatised patients who may or may not be pregnant. The intelligence arises in the selection of which answers corresponds best to the question that the AI was asked. That's what the L scientists were really trying to do. I hope you guys love these answers as much as I do. I guess my right brain is still very high school. Here are some more examples from the paper where they compare methods from two different algorithms that dispense love advice. So here's the question. I'm afraid to confess my love to her. What should I do? The first algorithm said, You should wait until you feel excited. If you interact with her indifferently, it will be difficult to develop any relation to her. Fair enough, I suppose. Now, the new methods created by these researchers, It is better to concentrate on how to confess your love to her. I understand you are struggling since you love her very much. Then there's another one. A guy I like says to me, I like you at home, kiddingly. It may be the ordinary gentleness. Some hope? The first algorithm. You don't have to test his love immediately. Unless he likes you, he would have not to gone see a movie with you. Not entirely sure about that. The second one said, yes, there is some hope. You can understand his reaction more easily if your understanding of each other is deeper. So you can see that it's a little bit more relevant to the conversation, which is good. The last question. I seldom meet an interesting person. I worry about how to become close to him. Should I approach to him positively? The answers. Try to select your words correctly. Unless you confess your love to him, it is very difficult to convey your emotion to him. You should confess your love to him. Unless you confess your love to him, it is very difficult to convey your emotion to him. Do you think they've got better? The researchers acknowledge that this is just an improvement in accuracy. The other thing I thought was funny was that they mentioned that there's not much money to be made in love advice, and they might be better off using the same framework for travel agents instead, which you can make money in. To which I respond, Sorry that there's not much money in robots that dispense relationship advice. I can see this is a difficult time for you. Have you considered training it to rob banks? If things go wrong, you can always claim that it was hacked by 4chan. I support your happiness and financial well-being. We're headed for the singularity, sure. One day, maybe artificial intelligences will be able to do a lot of the more generic and meaningless tasks of social interaction, like maintaining friendships, or selling you life insurance, or seducing boys. But how long will it be until they can create? Until they can be original? Thinking about these questions leads you to question what the definitions of creativity and originality really are.
I mean, after all, isn't everything just seeded somewhere else? If an algorithm is developed that can genuinely, actually improve and optimise itself, if it can take control of its own learning process and understands how to head towards particular goals, if it can identify if it's getting better, what will happen then? Will any job be safe? Could it be possible that with all that capacity, we'd be able to generate machines that can know us better than we know ourselves? Finding one might be difficult, but could you program a soulmate? Think about it. Is there anything a human can give you that one day a sufficiently advanced robot might not be able to give you, and give you better? Like so many of these AI-type questions, I think that the answers make us uncomfortable. We realise that in some ways the veneer of what you might call human exceptionalism is thin and philosophical. For now, this kind of intelligence remains in the realms of fantasy. And nearly 70 years on, no robot has passed the Turing test. In 1990, futurist Ray Kurzweil said that we'd have Turing AI by 2020. He since revised it to 2029. There's now a $29,000 bet on that, and to be honest, I'd keep my money. But who knows what's being cooked up? Just leaving this here. Google quietly changed their motto from don't be evil to do the right thing. For whom they're doing the right thing, we don't really know. So the AI could well be here tomorrow. We might need to get them on side. So it's good to know what makes them tick. And if all else fails, you just have... You look like a thing, and I love you. Thanks for listening to Physical Attraction. If you have any questions, the best thing to do is contact us on Twitter, PhysicsPod. You can email us at physicspodoutlook.com. Find us on Facebook, social media, things like that. Don't forget to tell your friends all about us. And if they need robots to help them chat people up or relationship advice, it could be the place to come. Till next time, talk nerdy to me. I've never seen you looking so lovely as you did tonight. I've never seen you shine so bright. I've never seen so many men ask you if you wanted to dance. They're looking for a little romance, given half a chance. And I have never seen that dress you're wearing. Or the highlight in your hair that catch your eyes. I have been blind. The lady in red is dancing with me, cheek to cheek. There's nobody here, it's just you and me. It's where I want to be. But I hardly know this beauty by my side. I'll never forget the way you look tonight. I'll never... Oh God, please help me. Oh God, please help me.